Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling themes and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. I'm Brittany. And this week, we will be discussing the theme of play in Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Oh, how cute. It is cute. (laughs) Uh, Before we get into that, what type of game do you like to play? So, probably my favorite types of games are ones that have a creative element to them. Hmm. So things like gestures or Pictionary. Uh, This game that I don't even know if it has like an official title, but we call it a drawing telephone. So it's like you could do like a movie title or, you know, words, phrases, whatever. And then you write down yours and then everybody passes their paper to the left and then the next person has to draw whatever the thing is and then they fold the the title down and just give the drawing to the next person and they have to write what they think Mm -hmm. the thing is and it just gets so convoluted and ridiculous so i like things like that where you have to do associations you have to think of like kind of creative ways of getting people to understand what you're meaning what about you i mean i like all sorts of games but in particular (laughs) I like either games that are really good pick-up-and-play party games. So, like, when I'm playing with other folks, I like to play games that do not require, like, a ton of expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Jackbox is a perfect example of, like, some really great games that as soon as you pick up your phone, you can kind of figure out how to play. But when I'm playing on my own, I really like playing deep and curated games. Um, and when I say curated, I mean, like... Like, I feel like there's been a tendency recently in video games in particular to kind of build games that are procedurally generated. So every time you play, you start from the beginning and you don't know what the map or anything is going to look like. The computer creates it as it goes. And that can be really interesting for replayability, but I prefer games that really have been intentionally developed so that the creators have a specific type of gameplay they want you to kind of be learning and utilizing. Those are the ones I tend to prefer, uh, especially since I have less and less time. I'm spending a lot more time on games that have like really interesting narratives or gameplay hooks that kind of keep me wanting to come back and play more. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm surprised that uh, Dungeons and Dragons style role-playing games isn't in your top. I mean, maybe it just doesn't come to mind because I don't do it as often as I'd like, because I really do love it, and I love the kind of the collaborative aspect of that, but the things I love about it is more the shared narrative focus rather than the gameplay mechanics, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. Although when you say gameplay mechanics, it really does take play out of it entirely. (laughs) (laughs) Not for me. I know, you love reading the rules, which is why I always hand them to you, because that's great. (laughs) It's been my whole life. When I was young, my brother would open up the game, put it in, and I'd start reading the rules while he starts playing. (laughs) I'm glad there are people like you among us. (laughs) There certainly are, yes. (laughs) Well, why don't we get into our analysis of Lord of the Rings with a quote? So this quote comes from the first chapter of Fellowship of the Ring, during Bilbo's long-expected party. He gave away presents to all and sundry. The latter were those who went out again by a back way and came in again by the gate. Hobbits give presents to all people on their own birthdays. Not very expensive ones, as a rule, and not so lavishly as on this occasion. But it was not a bad system. Actually, in Hobbiton and Bywater, every day of the year was somebody's birthday, so that every hobbit in those parts had a fair chance of at least one present at least once a week. But they never got tired of them. 
I wouldn't. It sounds fun to me. <laughs> <laughs> but it also sounds very expensive when you are hosting a party. Right? I would just never host a party. <laughs> or you just invite like three people. <laughs> but I wonder how that works with like their economic system. Well, that's the thing is that like they are a bartering system. And so a lot of it's probably just, oh, here is some... A jar of honey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, whatever it might be. Which is cool. Yeah. It's like the jar of honey. I will say, though, when I was young and my parents would host our birthday parties, they would always have a goodie bag for every student, every every child who attended. And so everyone who came also left with usually candies and some small toys or whatever. Yeah, but, we did that, too, um, when we were kids. And so, yeah, I, I for sure can see the appeal of that, especially for kids who are young enough to be upset that they are not the ones getting presents. <laughs> um, but it's just funny seeing this for full-grown hobbits as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> ones who are like in their 50s and 60s and mm-hmm. 70s. I'm going to go back out so I can get another present. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't we move into what character you brought to talk about today? Sure. I want to talk about Gandalf. Because Gandalf is, is such a great character. And I think that especially, you know, when you look at the movies, so much of the movies, he is this wise warrior wizard but i love how he's introduced as this goofy witty fun disturber of the peace disturber of the peace exactly (laughs) like he you know and and that goes into kind of even how the books start where concerning hobbits is all about how weird and fun hobbits are you know they (laughs) they so much love play right and when we were discussing this episode we were like we're probably gonna talk about the hobbits a lot And, and i think because that they are in Tolkien's world, a much more lively and rambunctious type of culture. This also probably is helped by the fact that they're the only ones who haven't felt war in decades because they've been protected by the rangers and what have you. But I think that is very interesting to see them and to see Gandalf starting in this community because I think that's one of the things that makes Gandalf such a great character is that he's not just kind of stuffy wise wizard he has this love of play this love of having fun and and building relationships and partying and enjoying himself the fireworks that he makes are totally a creative act of play this is something that he's spending time into honing and creating these magical fireworks that burst into all sorts of different kinds of creatures and decorations and he does this just for celebration just to have a good time and to impress people and make them see the splendor of what he can make and i don't know i don't see saruman or galadriel or even radagast doing that kind Mm. of not only spending their time but you know utilizing their time to make things that are just going to be enjoyed by regular folk mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah now i'm just imagining him like at a table with all of these different components putting them together chuckling to himself totally yeah you know <laughs> trying them out making sure they work <laughs> absolutely you know with his and, pipe <laughs> and and imagining like oh i bet bilbo will love having a dragon there i think that his relationships with people and and knowledge of them is also part of that because he's not just bringing fire it sounds like he's just brought fireworks just because because he enjoys them but this time he's really bringing them for a celebration that's very special to him and Mm -hmm. special to other people he cares about and i just think that outside of some scathing insults 
particularly to, to Pippin, he doesn't really keep that up for most of the movies, mm-hmm. right? And of course, they're dark times, so it's hard to, to be lighthearted in dark times. Yeah. But I do love one of the many denouements in the end of Return of the King when <laughs> when Frodo wakes up and he sees Gandalf and all the hobbits are like jumping around having a pillow fight like <laughs> so excited and Gandalf just has the hugest smile on his face and he's just <laughs> laughing and he's happy and that I think does bring it back around to this this love of people and this love of happiness and bringing fun into his relationships with people that we don't see a lot of at all in Lord of the Rings, including in his character, but I think is an important part of his character because it's why the hobbits care so much about him. It's why they're willing to do what they're willing to do. They're willing to go on this adventure because Gandalf, this person who they trust and care about and who they know trust and cares about them, is telling them it's it's right. I just think that that is a, a really great part of Gandalf's character. It's one of the reasons I like Gandalf so much. And so I wanted to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. I think it it really does help round his character out to be more like a real person mm. rather than just this aloof, wise, other type of being. Also, I don't know, it's kind of an interesting idea would be if how he interacts with the hobbits has anything to do with like him having been around for so long and just in his personality he is able to adapt to other people's cultures Mm -hmm. because we see that even in in the hobbit where as they're going to different places if you know if they're like with Beorn or something he's going to act differently than how he acts with the elves or any of the other groups that they they meet and i think that yeah, that's just a, a cool element of him that he can get in there and completely enjoy it and completely be his himself, mm. but kind of access a different part of him than when he's, yeah, fighting a war. That's so true. Yeah, good point. Well, what plot point did you bring? So I wanted to talk about Riddles in the Dark. Okay. Because I was thinking about where play interacts with crucial plot points mm. and how Bilbo got out of there with the ring is because of this game that they were playing. Mm -hmm. And it was striking to me when I was thinking about it that Gollum was the one who brought up Riddles, right? Mm -hmm. And I went back and, and read it and it said that Riddles was the only game he had ever played with people. And it was like before he'd lost all of his friends. It just was, I mean, yeah, he killed someone. So I'm not going to be like, oh, I just, like, I have compassion for his character because I do see it as tragic, but I'm also like, yeah, you, you did something horrible. Mm. But yeah, it's just so sad to think about he has gone years and years and years without any friends and anyone to really interact with. Then this hobbit stumbles upon him. He's like, ooh, is he tasty? I want to eat him, right? But then he gets excited about this game and engaged in this game. Mm. And yeah, just kind of signaled to me how starved he was for personal interaction and for play. Because you see, I mean, I think that is a big part of Gollum, but he never gets to practice it. Mm. And it's through this fun little interchange that well that Bilbo cheats on that everything ends up happening right Mm -hmm. when I was thinking back over the books I had 
read The Hobbit, or it had been read to me when I was a kid. And basically, that was the only part I remembered Mm. were the riddles and how it was just so fun to read them and try to figure out what the answer was. So I love that that part of play is like in the story, but it also engages the readers in some play as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's so interesting because The Hobbit is so much more of a children's book than Lord of the Rings, particularly when it was first written. And... From what I understand, Tolkien actually went, ended up going back and rewriting that passage in particular to mm. fit more with Lord of the Rings. And I think that's one of the reasons also why it has a bit more lasting power because it is kind of more tied into these grander narratives and has a different, slightly different tone to it. But I think it's it's interesting because it shows how the whole riddle game has a different tone where it, it professes to be a game, but it has extremely high stakes. Mm-hmm. Not only in the immediate for Bilbo's life, right? <laughs> yeah, but not being eaten exactly by a slimy little <laughs> <laughs> creature. Yeah, probably not a great day. <laughs> uh, also, very high stakes as we learn for the world as a whole. And so, I think it's really interesting seeing, as you mentioned, you know, play come into the narrative in such an essential way, and being an activity that is so essential to what happens. And I think that that makes that cheating that you mentioned also really essential. Hmm. Because we can always ask, was he being influenced by the ring? You know, was he worried about dying? Was he being influenced in ways that the ring wanted to escape? Like, what was going on? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, it's just, I think, a, a really interesting passage because it is this another really great intersection between play and the seriousness and at times darkness of the narrative mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. should we play the riddle game <laughs> like just making ones yeah up? yeah i don't know riddles off the top i of my know head. right i that's that's the thing is that the passage makes it seem like for the most part like i think the first one that bilbo does is just like the first one he thinks of mm-hmm. but the rest are like things that he makes up on the spot and i'm like how <laughs> Everyone in Tolkien's universe can make up riddles and songs on the spot and just have them be great. Well, that's the interesting thing, right? A couple thousand years ago, people had great memories for oral history, so right? true. And now we can barely remember anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and because culture has changed and... And technology has changed. Exactly. Right? Every, and every time new technology has made it easier to store information, whether mm-hmm. that be paper or the printing press or the internet. There have been people who said, you know, this is going to make us dumber. And mm-hmm. in some ways it's true. It, it changes the way that our minds are operating because we're not focused as much on memory as we and remembering specifics as mm-hmm. we are on knowing where to go to find information. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and also with technological changes have been changes in jobs. Back when you were farming or whatnot and you had this continual ebb and flow of how much time you were spending and sometimes you had more downtime and things like that like yeah if you're sitting around the warm hearth and sharing stories or whatnot maybe it would be a lot easier to come up with different things and it would just be a practice that Mm -hmm. you had and so yeah i think that that's probably some of what was going on with with them it's not that they're just exceptionally brilliant is that that was a part of their culture and how their culture passed the time and Tolkien for sure loved the idea of looking back at pastoral cultures and wanting to go back to a rural kind of society mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well 
I guess we should go move on to our compelling questions. That's probably a good idea. So what do you have for me? My question is, how do you see substances interacting with play (laughs) in Lord of the Rings? Interesting. Well, that's the funny thing, because it's like, oh, hobbits are so jovial and playing all the time. Mm -hmm. They're also drinking all the time. They're also smoking pipeweed all the time. And they're also eating all the time. Yes. Those are their three favorite things. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I think the only reason any of them work is so that they can do those things. Oh, 100%. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I have to harvest this wheat because otherwise we won't have our ale. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think it does play a big part. Yeah, I'm trying to think of even when they go to the elves and there's wine there. It does seem like a big part of a lot of their cultures. I mean, granted, this is coming from Britain. Yes, it is. (laughs) That pub culture, Mm -hmm. that is a big part of it. I'm trying to think of instances of play that don't involve (laughs) any substances. I mean, obviously, we have the one that we've talked about in the past, which is not great. By that, I mean is terrible, where... Legolas and Gimli have their mm. killing game going on. Yep. Uh, but that is play, right? And it does bond them together <laughs> over death and destruction, unfortunately. Mm. But that's an aspect where there isn't anything involved. I don't know if you would count, like, storytelling as part of play. Mm. And, and, like, singing songs, yep. right? So, yeah, there are some instances without it, but it's much more directly seen when it's present (laughs) absolutely yeah i think that that you brought up an interesting point about bonding because i think that particularly in a lot of those substances with other people is a bonding exercise and i think culturally it has been used that way right Mm -hmm. it's the difference between having a drink on your own and having going out for a drink with other people and i think it's really interesting seeing that as, as very much part of their culture particularly with drinking alcohol, because it's something that the hobbits clearly really enjoy doing. One point I always love seeing in the movies, I don't think it's in the books, but is when Mary comes back with a (laughs) full pint (laughs) and everyone's like, they come in pints. pints? Yeah, right. (laughs) And so he goes off and gets another one, even though he already has a half pint there, um, which I think is so funny because one of the bars that I used to go to a lot, they would sell beer in liters. Oh my goodness. Or you can get a liter, which is basically two pints. If I was planning on getting two drinks that night or whatever, I could just get them at the same time in a liter in this huge glass. And just like the idea of it and like the kind of jovial nature of drinking this (laughs) giant drink was so fun. But I didn't do it very often because it would still take me the same length of time to drink it. And by the time I got down to the bottom, it wouldn't be as fresh. Mm -hmm. So it'd be better to get just a couple pints anyway. But it's Um, the novelty of it. Exactly. It's the novelty. And that novelty would not have existed, or I would not have been as impressed or interested in that if I wasn't there with other people, right? Mm-hmm. If I was just going on my Getting own. Getting it on your own, a liter like, of a beer. A liter of beer just for me as I drink them alone here in the, at this bar? That sounds great. Like, that's not, mm-hmm. at least for me, what led that to be a kind of play, right? Mm-hmm. Was the fact that it was with other folks and that this is a, a shared experience that at times could be ridiculous like that. It's funny because growing up and even now, alcohol or any other substances besides food was never a big part of my life Mm -hmm. and was never a big part of my friends' lives, like, and us together. And we would play all the time with 
all sorts of games. Like that's what we would we would get together, and that was like what we were known for doing. And so, yeah, we, and we did bond over games and and whatnot. But these other aspects were never really a part of it. And even food wasn't a big part of it either. So mm-hmm. it's just it's interesting. I don't think of it relatedly. Right, and I certainly do. And, and yeah. that definitely comes from my family's culture. Mm-hmm. Growing up, my parents are Irish. Mexican and Irish, like <laughs> you know, and. I don't know how much that affects it, but for sure, both of them, both sides of my family have drinking and joviality being part of our celebrations. We also like to play games, but I can never remember a time when I have, when I've been at a family gathering and there hasn't been at least some wine there or something, you Mm. know? That's hilarious because the only times I ever remember my parents drinking anything, and it mainly was only my dad, my mom doesn't really like alcohol that much, would be if we were at somebody else's place and they had like wine. Mm. Then my dad would like have a glass of wine. That was like the only time we never had it in our house. And and it wasn't like because we can't, it was just, I don't know, it wasn't something we did. And and we, we would spend all of the holidays when I was growing up, like it would be a week period where we would get together every day with my aunt and uncles um, and cousins and we would play games and everything. And alcohol was just never a part of it, which mm. is which is funny. Like even to this day, New Year's Eve, we always just have Martinelli's like that's our tradition, <laughs> which is yeah funny. And it's not that I like hate alcohol or anything like I can enjoy it. But yeah, that it's just funny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What is your question for me? So my question is, in what ways do you see play adding value or depth to Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit? Well, the first thing that comes to mind for me is the fact that this world has become an archetype for the kinds of fantasy worlds that we play in. Where when you look at Dungeons and Dragons, when you look at almost any fantasy series that's been big in the last hundred years, it can very directly tie itself to things that were established in Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. And I think that while for Tolkien, this was kind of trying to create a like mythology for England, it also became, I think it became less of a mythology and it became much more of a fantasy sandbox where people started seeing these archetypes that could inspire them to create or play within. But, uh, what, what were you thinking for this question? Yeah, I enjoy that you took it in a completely different direction than the ways that I was thinking of, uh, which is part of why we do this. <laughs> it's almost like we're different people. Oh, well. But yeah, so I was thinking of it kind of more in terms of messages or themes that come out in the books that relate to play and that I think are really interesting. So even though I am not, I'm just not a Tom Bombadil person. But I think that there's a really interesting aspect to him that he has so much like free spirited joy that he doesn't care about power. And that leads him to not be tempted by the ring at all. It's like, oh, let's play with this. Oops, I made it disappear. You know, like he just, he doesn't care. It doesn't tempt him because he gets like all of his fulfillment in life from just the joy of playing and and being ridiculous and silly and hopping around and just enjoying himself and and I think that that's just a really interesting idea that I hadn't really thought about before but I think adds depth to the story the people who have learned to be content and he he doesn't have a lie. He just like lives in this forest with this other person and goes along his everyday life. And yeah, is just able to not covet 
that extra power. He doesn't need anything more. And and just thinking about how that need for something more, something better, is what drives all of these people to want the ring, to want to use the ring, and and all of this destruction in the world where he just lives this very simple but content life. Yeah, totally satisfied with his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really interesting particularly considering that, I don't know if you've read this, but there are theories that Tom Bombadil is in some ways a personification of Iluvatar, the, the god of Middle-earth. Mm-hmm. Um, I've creator, heard about that, yeah. Right, because he call, he's considered eldest, like he is the mm-hmm. oldest living thing in Middle-earth. And I think it's interesting to see him as so content and satisfied that most matters are trivial to him. The ring is trivial to him in that he'll still be compassionate to those who are there. He's still going to help the hobbits any way he can. He's still going to be kind, but he is also not going to worry about these grand things that are happening in the world, possibly because he has a perspective that is beyond it. And so with that kind of perspective, play and the value of contentment and living in the moment, and I think play can be a part of that, can kind of shine through. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing I was thinking about is that in the end, it it turns out to be a very dark story. Mm -hmm. And I think Merry and Pippin help break that up, and they really show how important it is to actively have kind of like levity breakthrough. Mm -hmm even in like the worst of times and their companionship I think is a big part of that because when they're together they have a lot more enjoyment and they joke with each other and are able to still enjoy some things even when things are dire and I think that that's such an important element of life if we choose to kind of lean into that because things can be really difficult sometimes and can be really depressing or devastating and and I think to remember to actively engage in play can really help you get through those things. Yeah well why don't we go into our missed opportunities then? What uh what opportunity do you find missed when looking at play in Lord of the Rings? Well, I was talking, so why don't you go? My missed opportunity goes back to, we've talked a little about storytelling. And I think that one of the problems that comes with the myth-making aspect of Tolkien's work, of wanting to make a pantheon of mythological stories that explain and kind of interact with each other, is that I don't think we see any fictional storytelling in Lord of the Rings, within the world of Lord of the Rings, hmm. right? Every story is traced back in some way, whether completely or through exaggeration, but to something that happened in the past. And mm-hmm. I think that that's, that's a missed opportunity because as Lord of the Rings itself attests to, one of the most amazing cultural elements that can come from a community is the stories they tell. And the stories that they create, right? Not just the stories that they believe in or that they've heard in and they they show the importance of, which can tell you a lot about them as well, but the things that come from their imagination 
that in some ways unite them. They have to have shared cultural understandings to understand the points of these stories and, and the themes and symbolism and things like that within it. And we just don't see any of that in Lord of the Rings. And it's so inherently situated as history within the within that that world that uh, I would love to see something outside of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how cool would it have been to see Bilbo, like, write children's stories or something? Totally, like, yeah. He can also write his There and Back Again autobiographies. <laughs> but, yeah, that would be really fun, too. Just a completely new story with trolls or something, not something that happened to him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that would be fun. But it, it is kind of interesting, like, it goes back to so much of what we have of, like, ancient texts. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they're written from a very specific perspective. And we can't always know now, through analyzing them, how much of them were based off of mm-hmm. things that happened, slash stretching the truth about things that happened. But yeah, I think it's it's interesting what we have recorded from ages past have more historical elements to them than just like an ancient recorded novel that was only a novel and talking about like these magical things and elves and you know whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have that as much until things started shifting culturally with technology and blah blah blah. Like and novels started being written, right? Right. Right. But I mean, even looking back at, you know, plays and things like that, that we see, you know, Mm. like we don't see performance really. uh, I would love to see a Hobbit performance. Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, (laughs) they choreographed dance numbers (laughs) with ale. They did do that in the Green Dragon song, right? Don't Mary and Pippin have this like dance that they're doing together? I mean, that might just because they're fun dancers, but uh, (laughs) yeah, I think there's some elements there. But yeah, I, I think that storytelling in particular would love to see more of that. For sure, for sure. What about you? What's your missed opportunity? So mine is that I wish that the elves from the books had more correspondence to the elves in the movies. Mm. So the elves in the books, I mean, we don't get to spend as much time with all of them. But at least when we're looking at Rivendell. In the movies, they're just very stoic and aloof and gorgeous beings that are all about intellect and wearing flowy clothes. (laughs) (laughs) And in the books, they're much more similar to the other races that Mm -hmm. we see. And they have these days-long parties (laughs) and just drinking and singing songs and storytelling, but yeah, maybe not fictionally, Mm. but just sitting around until late at night and enjoying their feasts and, yeah, saying tra-la and things like that. Uh, Tra-la-la-lolly, I believe it is. Uh, Well, one of the times, (laughs) at least. Um, Yeah, and so I think that does make them seem like not this kind of removed higher being or something, but just another race within the, the world. And that merriment that you see with elves in the books um especially in the hobbit yeah especially in the hobbit but even a little bit in in lord of the rings as well i mean they they stay in the rivendell for a while Mm -hmm. you know and i wish that was there and you would think that people who live forever would you know know how to party yeah they would prioritize play to combat their boredom (laughs) well i mean it's interesting because now that you've mentioned that look at the difference between their representation and Tom Bombadil. 
both mm. eternal kind of removed mm-hmm. characters or beings, but one that, yeah, has this air of superiority and detachment. And the other one is much more about living in the moment and enjoying yourself in the moment. And that comes with play, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas for the detachment thing, play seems beneath them and that makes them less accessible. Yeah. For sure, for sure. And the only other little thing I would add is that I just wish that there had been even just a scene where Gollum was playing like little riddle games or something with Frodo and Sam. That would have just <laughs> been be so great. Super cute, yeah. <laughs> right? Because like they're traveling along and yeah, things were super distressing and they were fighting for their lives, but they spent a ton of time together just, like, trekking through some bogs. <laughs> yeah. I think that's why, like, the rabbit stew line and, mm. and, and conversation is so striking, right? Mm-hmm. Because it is just them talking about food, you yeah. know? It's not them talking about the fate of the world or what it means to be a ring bear or anything like that. It's just, like, food is good. Food is tasty, right? Mm-hmm. We both like rabbits in different ways, maybe, but we both like mm-hmm. them. What are taters, precious? <laughs> potatoes. <laughs> Boil them, mash them, stick them in the stew. Ugh, if you don't know what potatoes are, oh, so sad. I know, very sad. Uh, Note to self, don't live in a cave for hundreds <laughs> of years. Good thing you keep that note. Yeah. <laughs> right, otherwise, yeah. very much I'll save it. I'll it. save it on my phone, otherwise <laughs> I might not remember it. Well, we should probably move on to our takeaways. Yeah, so what's your takeaway? This might seem a little self-serving, but... <laughs> I feel like this episode is the first in a long while that kind of makes me appreciate what we do with this podcast. Because when I think of Lord of the Rings, I don't think of play as a theme that pops out of it, right? Mm -hmm. And when we came together, we came up with just a lot of interesting themes that maybe we saw in one or more of the properties, but we didn't necessarily see in all of them. And play, I don't know if I would have immediately thought of as something that would have a vibrant conversation in Lord of the Rings, but I think that we've found a lot of really interesting stuff here, and it's made me think about Lord of the Rings and characters within Lord of the Rings and communities within Lord of the Rings in very, very different ways. And so I think especially in a series like Lord of the Rings that is the highest of high fantasies, right, where it's dealing with good and evil and all these huge world-shattering events bring it down to the level of play or of individual relationships and practices and things that people do for fun is a a really great way of kind of bringing more understanding to the people who would exist in these stories and in these worlds. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, hopefully I agree, because <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing every week, Otherwise, then? yeah. <laughs> Dragging you in front of this microphone. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think my takeaway is to play more, because, yeah, I think it really is a great way to combat the bleakness that life can be sometimes, and it can really help you get through difficult things, and the bonding that can take place in the past like month with all of the holidays and everything we've both gotten to play more with some family and friends and I think that that is a nice breakup to what sometimes can be the monotony of life you know mm-hmm. look to Mary and Pippin as an example of making sure that that's a part of your weekly or monthly life if the eternal beings know that 
play is great and essential, then <laughs> maybe we should do it a little more. <laughs> Does that mean that next time I ask you to play Lego Harry Potter with me, you'll play? I mean, I want to play Lego Harry Potter at some point. It's just video games are not my favorite way to play, so. I get it. You hate me and Harry Potter. <laughs> And now it's on record for all the listeners. I to definitely hear. don't hate Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> well, can you bring up what we'll be discussing next week? Yes, I can. So we're going to be going back to the Hunger Games, and we are going to look through the theme of learning. Ooh, learning in the Hunger Games. Yeah, that is exciting. Yes, yeah, the first time we got on this theme. So yeah, that's cool. I'm really excited for it, and mm-hmm. I think Hunger Games is going to be a perfect venue for it. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find us on social media on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or Pinterest by following the links in our show notes. You can also go to our website at bit.ly slash geekbetweenthelines or join our wonderful community of patrons over at patreon.com slash geekbetweenthelines. And we still haven't gotten new reviews in a while, so throw us some stars in a quick little comment or whatnot on whatever your podcasting app is because it really helps us out. Even if you've already given us a review, give us another review. Can right? you do that? I don't know. <laughs> new year, new review, right? <laughs> But seriously, it's the best way to help us get new listeners. And so we really appreciate all those who have given us reviews. And if you haven't yet, just take a, a minute to do so and we'll really appreciate it. We want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week. Until then, geek, geek out. out.